Today we're going to be reading in John 16, and we're going to be reading about the spirit of truth. And as I was thinking about this, um, I couldn't help but but wonder, um, is there an area in your life where you struggle with truth-telling? And uh, for for most areas in my... Just a light little thought-provoking thing little thought. to yes. kick things off. Yeah. You know, here, here's what I'm... As I'm contemplating this, for most of the areas in my life, I don't struggle with truth-telling. It comes fairly naturally. However, there's one area in my life where it's a struggle. So let me tell you about that confession time here. Um, a few years ago, Christmas time, we were opening up our stockings, and it just so happened that that Christmas, Santa brought um, each of the girls a jar of Nutella in our stockings. And uh, there is these cute little jars. There's the smaller ones. And um, I, if you know me, you know I love Nutella. I was born in Italy, and one of my favorite snacks was homemade bread with Nutella just smeared all over. It's delicious. And it is like my comfort food. Well, um, we each got these little jars of Nutella. And the first thing my girls did, much to my surprise, is they wrote their name on the lid of their Nutella, because they know their mama. <laughs> and so they reminded, hey, we got this from Santa, so this is ours, not yours. And I'm like, oh, whatever, I would never actually eat your Nutella. Well, a few few days, weeks later, um, I'm noticing that my jar is empty, and there's not so much. <laughs> well, the wonderful thing about lids is that they're interchangeable. And so uh, it was a Christmas miracle that year. Um, the lid with my name on it just always ended up on the jar that was most full until um, one day when I was caught red-handed by my ch- children, and they were quite upset with me. Um, and so from that point on, we decided we weren't going to have individual jars with names on them. And instead, I went and bought this really large jar that we would share. You know, this is a silly example about truth telling. But isn't it true, <laughs> maybe in, in your life as it is in mine, that sometimes telling the truth and hearing the truth is a little bit challenging for us. There are so many voices, so many things that we hear, and differentiating what is true and what is of God is challenging at times. Yeah, so today we continue a series in the Gospel of John, um, and to orient ourselves, uh, this is John's account of his experience with Jesus. He uh, sat down some years after Jesus' resurrection to write out an account that uh, followers of Jesus and those who weren't yet followers of Jesus might believe in Jesus. And uh, so we find ourselves nearing the end of uh, John's account. We're in John chapter 15 and 16 today. And uh, and in this text, Jesus has been sitting with his closest followers, uh, warning them about what is to come. And today he'll continue with the warnings of what is to come, but he'll also promise something powerful, the Holy Spirit, which he's done a, a little bit in previous chapters. We've talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit, but today we explore as John recounts his experience sitting with Jesus shortly before his arrest, his crucifixion and resurrection, uh, John sitting with Jesus and listening as Jesus made bold promises of what was to come. 
Chapter 15, starting in verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. And I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I, you're filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your own good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will testify. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I say the Spirit will receive from me that what he will make known to you. So our text today begins with Jesus, uh, a warning uh, to his closest followers in verse 2 here. Uh, they'll put you out, out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Jesus begins by warning that there are uh, terrible times and persecution coming. Now, sitting in that room, I can only imagine how his closest followers perceive what's happening in, in this moment or what's about to come. They've yet to understand his crucifixion and resurrection. They've yet to understand that he's leaving and they'll be on their own. Uh, and now he warns that dire times are coming. And in fact, his words become very true. We'll look back in history just for a moment and explore what truly is coming. Uh, Jesus would be crucified and raised again uh, in about 30 AD. Uh, in 35, the Bible records the first martyr following that, Stephen, um, in 35 AD. Now, Church history and, 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 uh, history books tell us of a number of the other deaths of his closest followers. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, all but one of his apostles will be martyred. They'll, they'll die, uh, in his name. Um, so in, in 42 AD, uh, James is beheaded. Uh, in 64 AD, Nero launches a major persecution against the church. Uh, you might remember, I believe he, he blames a fire on Christians and they become hated amongst, uh, the Roman world. Um, uh, and, and then, 
uh, Nero uh, begins public executions of those who profess the name of Jesus. And he would burn people at the stake, have them mauled by animals. They would be crucified in Colosseums. Incredible persecution broke out. So by 65 AD, both Peter and Paul um, are executed. In the 80s, uh, emperor worship is, uh, is mandated, uh, meaning uh, Christians are in violation of the law by not worshiping the emperor, by worshiping Jesus instead. In the 100s, the persecutions continue. Uh, some of the early church fathers, people like Ignatius and Polycarp and Justice, I'm sorry, and Justin, um, uh, all of these prolific writers, and some of the way that we know so much about first century uh, Israelite and Christian practices, uh, they were all martyred in the 100s. What's crazy to me is to think that persecution continues today. We find ourselves 2,000 years beyond uh, Jesus' death and resurrection, and still today persecution exists. And I I will say, uh, um, my hackles go up when we in America say we're persecuted for being Christians. Uh, because I don't think we're really perceiving what, Christ- what, what persecution looks like throughout the world when we say something like that. Uh, today, uh, as, of, as of 2021, in 2021, um, uh, studies found that, that 4,761 people were martyred, uh, Christians killed for their faith in 2001, uh, and nine out of ten of those from African countries. Um, the most persecuted nations in the world uh, now today are places like North Korea and Afghanistan and Somalia and Libya um, and Yemen and Iran and Nigeria and India. Uh, today, still, this persecution continues. And so we'll, we'll zoom back into the text. Let's look back to where we are in the text. And we find Jesus sitting with his followers saying, a terrible time is coming, persecution. People will consider it um, a grace and a good thing to put you to death for your belief in me. And in this context, in this conversation, Jesus says, it is good for me to go away because when I go, the spirit will come. The advocate will come. And the word that's used, translated here as advocate can also be translated as the helper, the counselor, the mediator. God who sees you will come in a new way. God will be with you. God will instruct you and assist you and will bring about good in you. It's a new era of the presence of God being present in a different way, the presence of God dwelling within the followers of Jesus. You know, last week, um, many of us were, were camping. I, I had the privilege of coming back, and we were in John 15. And in John 15, Jesus says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. Remain in me. Stay connected to the vine, and, and I will remain in you. And so it's out of this conversation that Jesus then promises the Holy Spirit that I will remain in you. The presence of God will be in you constant and close. Jesus speaks of the Spirit in terms of the Spirit of truth, the Spirit that will guide you towards truth. In these tumultuous, in these dangerous times, 
God is sending the Holy Spirit that will guide you towards truth. Now, truth is a little bit of a difficult subject, I think, culturally right now to talk about. Um, ironically, truth is kind of a relative term. That seems like a total oxymoron to me. Uh, but but somehow, culturally, we're able to speak of your truth versus my truth. Uh, I don't think that's the way the word truth is supposed to be used. I mean, a simple definition is truth is that which is in accordance with fact or reality. So we would think it's something kind of concrete. Culturally, I don't think it is that simple, but I do think I have some idea of what Jesus is speaking of uh, as far as truth. When he says the spirit of truth, the spirit will guide you towards truth. You see, uh, Jesus on some level is speaking of knowledge. Previously, he said to his followers, the spirit will remind you of everything that I've said. So the spirit will remind them of the words of Jesus, of truth. Further, the spirit will and and the spirit does reveal God to us, uh, God dwelling within us that we we might know God's love, that we might know God's peace, that we might know God's presence in our lives. The Spirit reveals to us knowledge on some level. But I think it's really fascinating the way Jesus speaks of the Spirit of truth here. He says the Spirit will guide you towards truth. That, that's not exclusively like a knowledge. That's not exclusively the Spirit will make you know some sort of truth. He says the Spirit will guide you towards truth, as though truth is a place we might reside. Do you get what I'm, what I'm after here? Jesus speaks of truth in terms other than just a cogn- cognitive thing, but we would be guided into a place of truth. It seems like a journey. The Spirit might bring us on a journey towards the truth of God. And it seems to relate to our walk in life. As opposed to simply understanding, Jesus speaks of truth being a place we might reside with the Spirit. We also see in here a glimpse of the Trinity and how the Trinity works, the the inner workings, if you may, of the Trinity. So when we speak of the Trinity, we, we're speaking of a God, one God who is three in one, a one God who exists in community, who exists in relationship. And, and so we speak of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says in here in verse 13 and 15, if you hone in on that, that the Spirit won't speak on his his own, but will make known uh, what is from Jesus. And that all that Jesus says that all that belongs to my father belongs to me also and will be made known by the spirit. As we've read through John, we have heard, um, well, here it says that spirit will glorify the son. And in, in chapter 12, it talks about the son who glorifies the father. And in chapter 13, how the father glorifies the son. And so we get this picture of this mutuality. This God who exists in community, exists in relationship. Um, one of the, the phrases that helps me understand the Trinity the best. And, and the Trinity is, is this beautiful mystery, <laughs> is God. And so it's hard for us to wrap our minds around what God is like. But one of the phrases that's really helped me is to think of the Trinity as a circle of divine love. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God who is love. There's a circle of divine love existing in relationship. And in this passage, Jesus is inviting us into that circle of divine love. It says the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the presence of God's divine love is made accessible to all. The Holy Spirit will reside within you and will be with you. 
Um, question for you. Is this a good time to be sarcastic or should I just move on immediately <laughs> just, to my next point? Just move on. Just move on. Okay. <laughs> it's up to you. Go for it. Now, now everyone's curious. I think with three, it would be more of a triangle than a circle, but okay. It's definitely a circle. All right, let's continue. In verse 16, Jesus is currently uh, warning his disciples of the, uh, of the terrible things to come, of, of the incredible struggles and challenges and the painful deaths that they might experience in the future, uh, but also promising to them, it's good that I'm going away. Because the Holy Spirit will come. Uh, and now in this final section we'll read today, uh, in beginning of verse 16, uh, Jesus begins to shift their attention away from the grief and towards the joy that can also come even in this incredible season of persecution. Uh, Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you'll see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after that, you'll see me. And because I am going to the Father. He, they kept asking, uh, what does it mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more? And then after a little while you'll see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. So Jesus is saying here that you you will grieve my loss. Grief is coming, but we will be together soon. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is to come. He Jesus knows the crucifixion is not far off, and and in three day for three days he will be buried in a tomb, and his disciples will be in grief and anguish over his death and then confusion. And yet he also knows that after three days he will be resurrected and he will be back with them. And so he uses this really powerful um, analogy, a birthing analogy that, that many women around the world have experienced this, this over, how, how overwhelming pain and overwhelming anguish can be a part of the journey to something beautiful, something unfathomably joyful such as bringing a child into the world. And so Jesus is saying, you will grieve a little while, but then we'll be together again. And after Jesus is resurrected, he'll be with them for 40 days, and then he'll ascend to heaven, and the Holy Spirit will come. And the presence of Jesus will reside with humanity in a whole new way. It makes me think of the previous chapter where Jesus is saying, hey, abide in me and love each other. And then in verse 11, he says, I told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. If you would just abide in me and love each other with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God with you, my joy will be complete. 
Jesus speaks to them about prayer for a moment in here. And it's kind of curious to me, Sarah and I spent some time this week talking about this section because he makes some really bold claims and powerful promises. Whatever you ask in my name, you will receive. And this language is found elsewhere in Scripture, in the New Testament. Other authors speak of these sorts of things. And it's curious to me because my my immediate kickback uh, in, in that statement is, if all but one of these followers, disciples, is going to be martyred, I can't imagine none of them praying, God, can we get out of this situation, please, right? And it didn't happen, right? It's not like a formula, if you pray it, you will get it. I don't think that's what Jesus is, is saying here. And uh, as I researched a little bit bit further, both uh, the language that Jesus uses here uh, and, and what other commentators and, and theologians have to say on the subject, um, my focus began to shift away from the, you will get what you're asking for, and much more towards the idea of what I am here for will be accomplished in your lives, and you will find joy in that. It's a shift uh, kind of towards um, what you ask for Jesus' sake as opposed to what you ask for in Jesus' name. Like, you will pray to see, for instance, Jesus' prayer. My king, you're praying, praying to God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is saying, what you ask in my name, the things that I am about will be accomplished in this world. Truly, God, your kingdom will come and your will will be done. What's interesting is we know there will be suffering. This is all in the midst of the suffering and the reality of what people will experience. And here's a beautiful reality that is just changed in the last decade of my life, uh, my, my perception of what's happening in the world around me. There is suffering, and it's painful, and we don't overlook it, and we have to dwell in the midst of it, and yet we're also invited to catch a glimpse of the perfection that is to come in new creation, when God sets all things right. We have an opportunity in the midst of the struggle also to experience the kind of love and joy and peace that God is bringing about. As we see his kingdom further ushered into this world, as we approach a time when we can experience that kind of perfection, we're invited in our church communities, out in nature, in the interactions we have, in our workplaces, we're invited to live into these rhythms of what God is accomplishing, uh, the sorrow turning to joy, even in the midst of the struggle. Continue in verse 25. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name, I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need uh, to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming, and in fact has, not, has now has come, uh, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. 
After three years of walking with Jesus, the disciples still here are trying to figure out what they believe about Jesus. They're saying, now you're speaking more clearly. This makes us believe that you came from God. They're still trying to figure out who Jesus is and where he came from. Confusion is still clouding their belief. For three years, Jesus has been teaching, has been explaining um, who God is and what will happen and why, but it's a lot for the disciples to understand. And can I just say it's a little bit comforting for me because um, I think we're all all on this journey of just trying to figure it out, right? We don't have it all figured out and, and they're 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 processing it still and asking themselves what is it that we believe and why. And God is working on changing their worldview. Uh, changing how they understand who God is and, and themselves and the purpose for their, their lives. And I love that it's in this context that Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit. As in, as their, his disciples are trying to figure it out, Jesus is saying, um, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the spirit of truth, will come, will guide you, will define, help define who you are, help define who we are as followers of Jesus and what we are to be about. In other places in scriptures, um, the, the Holy Spirit, it just, it's described as the Holy Spirit producing fruit in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, that, that big old long list that this is what the Holy Spirit does, transforms us and equips us to participate in the mission of God, this constant life-giving presence of divine love. So in 33, Jesus' final statement, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Peace, this idea of peace. I wonder what you think of when you think of peace. Sometimes it's like a quiet calm, but sometimes it's in the midst of the chaos. I can feel peace because I know that I'm being held by God. I, when I think of peace, I think of, um, the, the Hebrew word shalom and God, and that defi- definition of peace in, in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament is this idea of wholeness, of completeness, of being well, of being, um, healthy. Uh, a peace that Jesus is promising here is not a peace that comes from this world. It's not a peace that we can accomplish in and of ourselves or find in other places. It's a peace that surpasses human understanding because it's more than we can find for ourselves. It's a peace that's rooted in God, a peace that's rooted in God's healing and God making us whole. It's rooted in being uh, walking hand in hand with our creator and being, um, remaining in the presence of divine love. You know, it's interesting, um, your statement there that, uh, that it's not something we can create this peace, right? Uh, but it is something we are invited to and have to intentionally receive. You get the difference? I mean, we can live a frenzied life trying to accomplish things on our own. And if we don't take the time to settle into, to rest with 
with the Spirit in the Spirit, uh, we might never find that peace that is so readily available to us. You see, we've been invited to live life with God. Jesus promised to his disciples on this day is the same promise to us. There will be difficult times. You will have troubles in this world. However, God is sending the Spirit that we might know peace, that we might find joy even in the midst of that struggle. We're on a journey towards complete joy and peace, towards healing and wholeness, and we won't experience all of it in this life, but it is available to us. And so the question is, might we turn our attention more fully to the God of peace, the spirit that God has placed inside of us, inviting us to know his love and peace and presence in our lives. Galatians 3 verse 25 says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. This is such an important reminder that we play a part in our experience of God's peace abiding in our lives. May we be a people that learn to walk in step with the spirit to keep pace with what God is doing in the world around us, to walk in lockstep with the Spirit, and in so doing, experience this kind of peace and joy. You know, we come from different backgrounds, so I'm not sure how this invitation is landing with you when you hear hear talk of the Holy Spirit. Like what kinds of experiences, what kinds of feelings that, uh, that brings up for you. Probably that brings up different types of feelings and thoughts for us. But I want to encourage us today to lean in to this idea of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is God with us. So whatever your background, whatever experiences you've had, and and some of those may may cause you to be a little hesitant, I want to encourage you this week to lean into that and to invite the Holy Spirit to speak, to invite the Holy Spirit to move within you and to transform you, to transform us as a community. That's what we want to do, to invite the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, I also want to encourage us to pay attention because it's so easy, like you were saying, not not to pay attention because of our, of our frenzied schedules and, and the chaos. But I want to invite us to pay attention. And I would venture to say that yeah, I mean, that can be, happen a lot of different ways. But a really, really good place to start is some places of solitude and, and stillness. Even if it's just for a few minutes this week, I want to invite us to some solitude and stillness, times of prayer in which we are talking to God, and also times of prayer in which we are silent and we are listening to God. If we will be intentional about showing up, if we will be intentional about leaning into the spirit and inviting God to work in us. I know, we know that God is faithful and God will meet us there because God is already there, right? God has already issued this invitation. And so we get to be intentional about meeting with God in those places. On a real practical note, 
if, uh, if, if you feel a need to kind of be led in some of that still meditative quiet time with God, uh, there's two great apps that you can download uh, for morning and evening prayer, however you want to use it. Um, one is called Lectio 365, and the other is called Pray As You Go. And both of those will take you through a 10 to 15 minute little devotional quiet time uh, that you can sit and be still with God and be kind of led in some of those those places and directions. Let's pray as we close out this morning. God, we thank you for this day and for this time and an opportunity uh, to be together and to explore your word, uh, the words of Jesus, and the hope that we find in them. Uh, God, I pray that in the midst of... Um, the chaos and the hurt and the trouble that we experience in this world, uh, that we might know a little bit more of your peace and your presence. Spirit, we invite you to move in us in the week to come. Uh, Jesus, uh, continue to remind us of your way that we might walk in lockstep with the Spirit. God, we're thankful for your continued love for us and the work you're doing in and around us. We pray that you'll help us uh, to see and to engage in the things of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.